This is the Still Talking Podcast with Colton, Zeno, Brian, and a special guest, William. William, who the fuck are you? Fucking A. All right, so you're going to have to do an intro again. Don't want to. Well, you have to. It's your thing now. Well, I'm William, first of all. <laughs> yeah. and I'm, the, I'm the most imp- important person here. Yeah, let's <laughs> let him do the intro. <laughs> we did a fun little experiment, though, um, with some dub- double-oaked liquid. So William had some uh, one of his clients, shall remain nameless for this time being, uh, does a double-oaked product, and they tried to... Uh, rechar barrels instead of using a brand new barrel in the second barrel aging. Um, so yeah. Kelvin did all the recharring for this company and we tasted them next to each other. So like the double barreling in a new barrel versus the double barreling versus the rechar. Cool. So it was a fun experiment that I could get my hands on the liquid and I figured he was coming on the show. So yeah, it was cool for me too. Cause we've done a lot of experimental stuff like this before but never we never get our hands on anything you know after the fact when you talk about years down the road people doing these experimental projects and you know we're involved in it all the way through until they all say all right yeah it's all good we're going forward and then it's going to be a couple years before we release anything and by that time everyone's forgotten and we never get any feedback on anything right you have no idea what happened what it turned out like it was cool just to be able to actually see this even though it's only three months in there's significant differences i think so okay william what exactly is happening can you kind of identify some of the science so, behind why yeah there might so be basically what some of the flavor differences yeah so the the biggest reason you're going to see flavor differences is because four-year-old six-year-old bourbon barrel whatever it is um has already had a whole lot of the meat and bones of the of the barrel have been taken out in that first aging process um right what we're doing we're taking the barrels in we're actually, what well, we actually, the whole process, I can give you a pretty detailed description of what the process is. I don't For recharring? Yeah, for recharring. For yeah. this specific recharring process. In yeah. Because we do recharring process for all different people, and there's different criteria for every different project we do. And this specific project, it was, one of the, one of the big things was we get the barrels several days before they need to be processed, and we actually take a head out of every single one of those barrels and leave them open to the air, exposed to the elements, so that any residual alcohol will be evaporated out um, before we even begin doing any kind of processing to the barrel. So truckload comes in, we knock heads out of all the barrels. We number everything so it stays all together. Before any decharring happens, any retoasting, recharring, anything like that happens, we're letting the barrel sit there and just literally evaporate all that residual. But is that is that specific to this project or you guys always do that? That was a specific... It's something that we do... If it's not specified, we generally do it, but it was specified on this project because what it leads into further on is then when you go to do the detarring process, which the detarring process, generally about four millimeters of wood is taken out of the inside of the barrel, which is going to expose approximately 90% blonde, uncharred, you know, unheat treated wood by doing that. And so from there, then... Has whiskey touched... That would yes, whiskey has touched it. So it's it's got that far in, it's, but okay. yeah, because like I assume most of you have seen what yeah. a used bourbon stave looks like. You see the red line, and that red line can go all the way to the literally to the surface, the outer surface of the stave. So yeah, that and that's why the the key differences are going to be even though we're shaving that wood out 
and we're going to retoast it, rechar it, however we're going to, you know, whatever the process may be, that wood has had contact with whiskey for a significant amount of time. And every time any whiskey flows into the wood and flows back out, it's taking something with it. And so by, but by scraping all the char out, exposing new blonde wood, and then recharring, we're activating a new fla- a new layer of carbon and activating new flavor compounds in the wood. Um, and so it, the best way to describe it is basically a rechar barrel is going to give you all the similarities of a new oak barrel, just way mellowed down. Hmm. So to dechar it, is it it's a machine? Or it's you a machine. Go yeah. in and yeah. So the machine. No. So we have a, we have, we had a custom machine built probably six or seven years ago. Uh, so before that, that was hand. Detroit. Before that, it was, yeah. That Whew. seems rough. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, guys. Yeah. First, these two are assholes, and they didn't introduce me. So, hi, William. My name is Brian. I yes. should have officially right. said hi. That was a dick move on my part. This is the Still Talking Podcast with Colton, Zeno, Brian, and a special guest, William. William, who the fuck are you? <laughs> so, I work for Kelvin Cooperage, family-owned barrel manufacturing company here located in Louisville, Kentucky, right in the heart of it all. And lucky enough to be on here with you guys. Uh, worked a lot with Colton here in recent times. Gotten to know Zeno through Colton. First time meeting you. Um, but born and raised Louisville, Kentucky. Bourbon's been my in my history, my background for my entire life. And so it's awesome to be in the industry now. Do you have any family members that come through the bourbon industry? Or? I have weird family ties because I've got a lot of family that's from Owensboro. Uh, and with Owensboro comes the Jim James Beam relations and yeah. Glenmore and all that stuff. And so I've got some weird family ties to the distilling industry, but no one in my family actually was a distiller. But it's just it's all small world stuff. Everywhere you go, you you figure out all these weird connections and it's cool going along the way. Fear not. No one here is a real distiller either. Yeah. <laughs> Just play one. On TV. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, cool. so how, how did you get into, before we get back into the nerdy science side? Um, my high school here, a couple of the owners. So Kelvin Cooper's is owned by two brothers, Kevin and Paul McLaughlin from Scotland, born and raised. And they moved, they actually had a Cooper's operating in Scotland outside of Glasgow decided to move it to Louisville, Kentucky, specifically for the used barrel business um, in 91. And at that point, they started growing it as just kind of a traditional cooperage, refurbishing once-used bourbon barrels that they would then be selling into the Scotch and Irish whiskey markets primarily. From there, things kind of evolved, diversified, and manufacturing became a very small part of the business, and that was in the early 2000s. And then by about 2009, I was graduating from high school, and it just so happened that uh, Paul McLaughlin's daughters went to the same school I went to. I reached out to them, telling them I needed some work when I was home from college, and that was how the introduction all happened. So in 2009, I met Kevin and Paul for the first time, and uh, it's pretty much all history from there. I worked on and off with them when I was in college, when I was home from, from school, and about a week after I graduated, I started full-time. So that was 2012. And it's been uh, kind of a rocket ship of growth and change and uh, just the same as what the industry is going through. It's been amazing, though. Yeah. And the entire time, he dreamed on being a shitty podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad oh, we yeah, can this uh, is like, fulfill your this bucket is list. Dream here. come true. It's, it's good because I'm only 28 years old and I'm pretty much peaking right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, 
Okay, so we were get we were getting into the rechiring chemistry and how that yeah. process works, and that that's kind of cool. So that kind of led me to a question I had for you. I was kind of keeping it in my back pocket. It's like you know you deal with a lot of craft guys, right? Right, right, right. So there's we did one part of this barrel aging episode was like accelerated barrel aging. What are you seeing happening, or what do you think is going to happen? What's innovation that can help people get a product? that's palatable at one year, two years. So, and this is where, you know, it, I don't want to become a sales pitch <laughs> because that's not at all. I'm not a sales guy, but genuinely what I believe is that where you can start. First of all, I think that big bourbon business, a lot of what they've pushed on the public has been, intentional as a barrier to entry to keep other people from coming into the market. That being saying you need six, you need eight, you need 10 years before you can have a really good product. So you're and saying not, the Bream gun Tories of the world. And I'm not, and I'm not Big saying, jerks. and I'm not saying that uh, I'm not saying that an eight and a 10 year old bourbon aren't fantastic. But all I'm saying is I believe that there is a possibility for there to be younger bourbons and younger rye whiskeys out there that are really, really fucking good. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes down to obviously the distilling that goes into it, because obviously that's a big part of it. But um, getting away from this idea, which I think is happening now, but I but even five years ago, it wasn't even in conversation was, oh, a barrel's a barrel. You just buy, you know, I built my distillery. I've got my mash bill figured out. I just need to get a barrel. I don't doesn't matter where it comes from just a barrel's a barrel just give me the barrel i'll I'll put my product in there and i'm going to make something awesome well the reality of it is all barrels aren't really created equal um and there's a lot of manufacturing and there's a lot of tlc really that goes into barrel manufacturing and the way that we're doing things is very traditional uh colton's been colton and Zeno both have been able to come see what we do um and it's hands-on and a big part of it is that we never use gas at any point. So you're talking about having true white oak burning fires, uh, toasting 15, 20 minutes on every barrel before they're actually getting charred. And by doing that, we're heating the barrel throughout the entire inch thick piece of wood, activating caramelizing sugars and really unlocking all the potential of the wood. Well, I mean, also, right, so it's breaking down some of those, you know, components to let your bourbon get even farther right, into right. the wood. And well, so wood lignin, right? Like that. Can, can you back up a step too yeah. and talk about the difference between like kiln drying versus uh, air drying like in the fields and aging the actual wood? What do you guys do in that regard? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a great question. You know, that was another question I had, Brian, so fuck off. He's in your back pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, no, I mean, because I mean, there's big people like I know certain big double macro sized distilleries like, yeah, we want a one year cure or we want right and you know it, how much of an impact how do you feel about it here's my take on that and and i my take comes from the fact that really our, our manufacturing background was in wine manufacturing and with wine everything it's 24 months 36 months air seasoned minimum i mean there's nothing you're you're just sitting on wood out in the yard for years and years and years before you even touch it um and what, what happens with that is you leach a lot of tannin out of the wood during the air seasoning process. But um, Is that microbial? There's also a whole... 
Yeah, it's microbial. Yes, um, and you can actually physically see when you look at wood aging in our yard outside. You'll actually see when we get a really heavy rain, no the the puddles of water that form around the pallets will actually be black. Oh shit! So uh, is there is there a point where you look at you look at a pallet of staves and you say it's gone too far? We need to clean the bugs off, or no, no bugs don't form. You don't get you don't get um, noticeable. You don't get rotting. You don't get no, noticeable. So when you say microbial, I mean. There's obviously stuff going on in there, but it's not like you've got beetles and bugs. Yeah, and I guess that's not. I it's like, like mildew, lignin degradation. It's, it's right? it, it it what happens is you take a piece of raw cut green wood and it looks really yellow and golden in color. Um, and as it air seasons, it starts to turn into a really gray weathered, just looking piece of wood. Um, and what's happening with that process is the tannins are being leached out of that wood over a very very gradual slow amount of time with sun wind rain heat cold all these elements that just very slowly leach these things out and tannin isn't you talk to people in the wine industry and tannin is like the devil but the tan, tannins aren't the devil when you're talking about spirits i don't think and colton you probably know can speak use, more to especially that especially because we use little barrels like we we notice tannins fast right right yeah. it's and tannins, always, it's it's good and bad yeah and, it can get and so from a spears perspective when people say oh well what about getting me you know i want some 36 month old wood and from a spears perspective i say look i can get you anything you want but you're gonna pay me yeah you're gonna pay me you know 70 you know 70 percent more for the wood for a 36 month old barrel and just from my personal opinion and, and experience in talking to people, once you char a barrel and you put 110 proof or 125 proof spirit into it, what you've gained in your three years of having it sit outside in air season and leach those tannins out really doesn't come through in any kind of significant manner. When you talk about the wine side of it, it does come through because you're talking about a toasted barrel. There's no charring. You're talking about a 12% wine that's got all kinds of really, really subtle characteristics to it. And yeah, some over tannin can can ruin a wine, but tannin and a spirit, it's a tricky, you know, it's a tricky question where you have to kind of let the distiller themselves decide, is it worth paying this much money for that barrel? Do I think I'm getting the value out of it for what I'm paying for it. Um, so, so sticking with the wine side a little, I mean, when you make their barrels, they have what, like 200 profiles or it's unreal. Like their oh, toasting I mean, profiles can go just so crazy. We can go anywhere from toasting a barrel for 40 minutes to toasting a barrel for an hour and a half. And in that process, taking the barrel off, steaming the barrel, putting it back on. Um, and then you're talking about even segregating out, Minnesota wood versus, versus Kentucky wood versus Ohio wood. And then talking about age statements from 24 months to 30, 36 months to 48 months. So, I mean, but so on the spirit side, should we be looking at that or is just wine well, so I, much more delicate? That, I think there's kind so of a big movement for that already. Like we were talking about barrel profiling. I mean, if you look at Maker's Mark, like Maker's 46, true, right? Yeah. Like Maker's 46 does... Right, like they do their toasted yeah, French oak right, inserts. Right. Yeah, the limousine oak inserts, right? Like you know, and then they, they get on their shtick of you know, they're like, Hey, tell us the 
the characteristics out of you know a word bank that you like in your spirit, and we'll yeah. try to make it to that profile by profile toasting by the Cooper. I mean, that's that's what's been. Is so... that something that you've seen a lot of that doing that? Like, I think on a finishing side, that may be something that's worth looking into. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I just don't see barrels are expensive enough as they are, right? I mean, it's a pretty big portion. Yeah, do something about it, guy. And, <laughs> and grow more trees. Rightfully, yeah. Now, playing devil's advocate, or I got to at least defend myself here, rightfully <laughs> so, they're expensive. I mean, when you come and see the labor that goes in and the work that goes into building a barrel, I mean, it's it's literally a, a craft. It's artwork. There's a lot of hard, hard work that goes into it, but they're expensive. That's bottom line. A barrel's expensive. And do you want to just spend another... 40% on top of that for something that may or may not make a huge difference. I mean, when you talk about a subtle, subtle, tiny difference, is yeah. that worth that much difference? Now, on the finishing side, I think there's a lot to be said on the finishing side. And I think that finishing is just now something that's becoming... It's like the next step in innovation, I think, for craft distillers. Yeah, I think, I mean, especially craft side, we always thought about finishing as like port or sherry. And that was it. Yeah, but you right. all of a sudden, you right. all of a sudden, oh, I need a fortified wine yeah. barrel to finish my my whiskey. Yeah. That's what's going to make it good. Well, who the fuck says that something else couldn't make it good? Yeah, a tequila barrel. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, like we've, dude, I've just seen so many of those different barrels in the industry mm-hmm. pop up. Uh, I just saw rum finished in a tequila barrel like a week ago. Rum finished in a tequila barrel. Yep. Did, did you, you try it? it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You did? It's a uh, backwards That's distilling it. Uh, at uh, Wyoming. <laughs> it's actually really good. When you want to really start talking about going into that depth about, even if you want to talk about region of wood or toast and so, air seasoning and those things, I think you might gain the benefit on that on a finishing side. But if you're just saying, I need to fill barrels, the amount of money you're going to spend, yeah. I just don't think justifies That's, the means. That's an interesting perspective too. And like in here, and I... I, re- I appreciate that you probably are pretty honest about that because you could make a hell of a lot more money if you could yeah. say on it, right? Yeah. 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 You right. have to so, know French oaks. So, yeah. Not so to, like, not no. to, yeah. You're like, and, no, Zeno, it has to be limousine oak. <laughs> profile to, Yeah, to be perfectly honest, for seven I, yeah, years. I can tell you right now, we make a hell of a lot more money on the people who are like, no, I need that air season wood. Yeah. And it's like, we try to tell them no, but we make more money on them. Sure. We yeah, but from reading between the lines. But it, it, uh, just from my perspective, it just doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't. Yeah. And to what it sounds like, so I'm reading between the lines, which is amazing. I can even read, but <laughs> it's a analysis paralysis a little bit, right? You're like, we're so fixated on like, what's that initial aging? And what, what I'm hearing from you, William, is that like, okay, well, maybe you just kind of go with what you know, get a quality built barrel that you know it's consistent, what you're going to get out of it, and then do your real innovation on your finishing that's where I think it comes from. But to go back to the original topic, which was, you know, rapid aging, I think that there is something to be said for how you can get a good product in, a le- in less time. And I don't think it has to do with air seasoning wood. I think it has to do with what goes into manufacturing the barrel that you're going to be starting. Throwing. I mean, you've, we spend so much money on our starting ingredients for the whiskey. Right. Like we, nobody, nobody make, I mean, I'm sure some people do, but buy the cheapest raw ingredient grain they can and then say right oh well i sh- yeah i did this and now i'm gonna buy that limousine oak and age it for yeah, and no years. barrel's gonna salvage a, a terrible spirit and 
no amazing spirit is going to get ruined probably by a barrel. Yeah. But there's, there is also median ground there between you make a quality product and you find a quality barrel and you can start getting some really good results in two years, three years, four years for sure. Right. But yeah, we talked about a couple of them over dinner. Yeah. Two years, two year spirits that I was like, oh man, this is way better than I thought it would be in <laughs> yeah. two years. Right. And like, and we both said the last one we talked about, I think on the last episode, the low gap one, we're like, we, we think it was a better spirit. I think the craft of the distillation was excellent, but I think that the barrel aging that they took and the consideration that they did. And we talked about, William, we talked about going in at lower proofs. I know you're right. And I'm a big fan of, of barreling at lower proofs, which again, benefits me obviously because if you barrel lower proof you're going to have to use more barrels but but i genuinely do also <laughs> on a non-profit side i think that barreling at lower proofs makes a big difference right yeah you're in an interesting position because you get to see trends that may not come to fruition for a few years so you kind of see things coming down the pipe that not everyone else may. What kind of trends are you seeing right now in terms of what people are buying? You know, everything from uh, char to, like you said, seasoning ages, things like that. And how do you think that'll actually translate into finished products two to four to six years from now? What, what do you think is going to change in the next few years? Um, I think, I think now it's actually interesting because we were talking about marketing and how marketing plays such a big role in pretty much every spirit brand, whether you're big, small, craft, mega, it doesn't really matter. Marketing is so much of the spirits industry. And I've, I've actually now started to kind of become more aware of the fact that we're getting customers asking for unique barrels, just bizarre things with the intention of, they don't really give a shit what comes out of the barrel. <laughs> and more so, more and more so, this is an awesome barrel that I'm going to just market the shit out of and who cares what comes out of it. Fallen whiskey. But, 1792. But, it's, but it's got an awesome story behind it with a crazy barrel behind it and people are going to buy into that. And, you know, I don't know. You call it, call it what you want to call it, but it is marketing. And the, I think the marketing side of it is just growing and growing and growing. It's just how can you market everything yeah. into what you do? But that's how it's always been. It's just growing. The the spans of where the marketing comes from. That's the side. That's the side that makes me nervous. Is you know, if, if you look at you know, vodka's marketing, they just started getting crazier and crazier and crazier, and then people moved to whiskey. Yeah, we're not making. <laughs> Buttercream <laughs> bourbon, unless that's wait, coming. Wait, actually, yeah. we are. Yeah. Brian, would you bourbon drink that? Cream. God damn right, I would. <laughs> Some cotton candy bu- bourbon. Yeah, mm, sounds amazing. I was going to say a couple. You know, okay. over the last over the last few years, there was what can, people were considering a barrel shortage, especially on the the craft side, where people were just it was impossible right. to get barrels. Now that seems to have diminished a little bit. Where are you guys at in terms of how much, how many more are you producing every year? How much has your production range increased? And do you see that being a problem in the foreseeable future for smaller well, guys was, getting barrels? That's really what put us in in the bourbon manufacturing business. So we, I mean, we've been around. Kelvin Cooper's has existed since 1963. Um, we've been heavily involved. We've been one of the biggest and biggest buyers and sellers of used barrels in the world for the last several decades it's still one of your biggest and it's yeah, and it's right? still a core core part of our business yeah absolutely used barrels is a huge part of our business 
um, manufacturing didn't really take off until the early 2000s for us. And back then it was pretty much wine barrels. And with wine barrels, you're making, you know, six, seven, 10,000 wine barrels for Southern and, and Northern hemisphere harvests a couple times a year, you knock it out. It all happens at one time. And that was a big part of our business. And, and it was a good kind of intro into manufacturing for us. Um, and we did try it at one time to tap into the bourbon, the bourbon manufacturing industry, and it just didn't make sense. There's no way the, it was just, it's, t- it's too small of a, an industry in terms of the number of players okay. for people to get into it. Um, but with this shortage, because of the craft boom, it opened up this entire opportunity for what we would call ourselves craft cooperages to exist to feed the demand for the craft distillers. Um, and so that really is what kind of kickstarted us into being able to tap into the new bourbon barrel manufacturing industry and actually make money doing it and be able to be sustainable in doing it. And so that happened about six years ago. And since then, we've gone from making about 10,000 barrels a year to about 80,000 barrels a year. Damn, that's impressive. So, you know, you've just increased that much. So I've, I've seen your facility. When do you have to expand again? Or like how many how many barrels can you make in a day right now? Right now we can make about 450 to 500 barrels a day. And are you maxed out? Pretty maxed out. Wood's not a, not an issue uh, at the moment, at least. We have good relationship with our mills. So um, as far as what we're doing and how we've been running, things are all in balance. But that's the next question, you know, and that's a big thing and not to be the Debbie Downer of the conversation, but at some point, everyone's thinking it, no one wants to say it is, when do some of these craft distillers start dropping out? Yeah. They already have. Because there's a saturation point. Sure. Well, and, you know, what what if whiskey production goes down, there's still a lot of craft distillers, but they're making something else that's not as barrel. That doesn't require barrel aging. Not as heavy barrel demand. Right. So... Vodka's come back. Cotton candy vodka come back. It's coming. Craft cotton candy. Craft craft <laughs> cotton candy vodka. Is there cream in it? Shit. That's yeah. craft craft cotton candy. Listen, we could put cream Generic in it for you, all right, sweetheart. <laughs> just put cream in everything. That's the new comeback. Just cream <laughs> just creamed everything. Yeah. yeah. That's the name Barrel of my distillery. There, there it is. Barrel aged cream. <laughs> oh. Oh, God. From the udder to the barrel. <laughs> Oh, shit. That's that's terrible. So, all right. So do you think like things like we talked about Squirrel and like all those kind of innovations? I always think I'm like, well, that's good, right? That innovation is going to force the hand. It's the same reason I work for like, you know, Dream Fun Factory. And (laughs) I feel like the horse. First listener suggestion. The horse horse hair of the world. The horse hairs of the world are going to push us further, right? Like because like you know they're gonna innovate something they're gonna do something different like oh that's neat what if we did it and you know we can perfect it because we have well not to knock them money. but I think that the only way innovation happens is through places like craft distillers and not through places like the Jack Daniels and the get Jim the Be- fuck out of here and the Jim Beam <laughs> and the Jim Beams of the world if we're being perfectly honest I mean, we we innovate and then they 
extrapolate. Perfect. Right. So, right. Perfect, I think, yeah, is the word you're I'm looking for. But when you're running <laughs> they through, science it. <laughs> when you're running a distillery that's making money out, off I don't of know it. how many how many barrels <laughs> yeah. how many barrels are coming out of that still every hour, but you can't just say, Oh, we're gonna on a whim Let's throw some shit in here and see what happens. It doesn't work that way. William, you're explaining what I do on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> so you need you need the small guys out there doing crazy, stupid shit that probably sucks, but every now and then you hit a home run. Yeah. It's a blind squirrel nut situation, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a blind squirrel nut situation. As in, you know, every once in a while, a blind squirrel finds a nut. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, we got it. Thanks, Zeno. Had to explain that for Brian. Listener. Thank you, listener. <laughs> yeah. Whoever you I, are, listener. I, I was trying not to fucking comment on it. I just no. All right. So wait. So, but you're Please very extrapolate. But your very definition, William, is that what you're saying is like it's the horse hairs. They're gonna, you know, really find the nut. Well, is there gonna be some like small? Is it gonna be squirrel aging or, right? Or the guys from what is it, Lost Coast? Right, what's his last, name? Uh, last, lost, lost spirits, spirits. Right. Lost spirits. Lost spirits. Yeah. California. California. Doing the the yeah. rapid light. maturation radio, God, whatever rapid aging radio crap aging. they're coming up with. Yes, yeah. God, yes. Yeah, definitely call UV, it, UV. Definitely, <laughs> definitely call it rapid aging crap. It definitely <laughs> does him justice. <laughs> yeah, we'll cut that part. <laughs> no, no, no. Keep that in. No, you're a fucking Cooperage. You should say that. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, I'm trying to protect my art too. <laughs> no, I mean, but like, do you think that you can you can learn something from that? I mean, oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, on your end, like you be you'll be able to make barrels better or in a different way because of something that they find out. Maybe. I don't know that I can make a barrel better, but I can learn. I can always learn something from any. I mean, from anything. You should yeah. be open as soon as you start closing your your walls up and not accepting to even listen to what other people are saying is when it all falls apart complacency is is a demise is the as soon as you become complacent you're dead which i think our industry is so prone to because it's yeah so so much tradition think of of my end of the industry yeah yeah Yeah. right and you know and that's tough for me that's a battle i fight in full disclosure i mean i i do i'm like you know i'm I'm an outsider there and that's fine. It's good. It's a great conversation. I have this, I have a, the utmost respect for the tradition that's in there when I, and I try to protect it and bring in new innovation. Well, and it's also, if it's not broke, don't fix it. When you're pumping out however many hundred thousand barrels a year and selling it, what, you know, why test the waters? Yeah, let, that's, let the other guys let Colton do it. That's let true. Let Colton like, test the waters. <laughs> one of the, let yeah. him be the guinea pig. I hear you on that too. But like, there was a there was a guy from Suntory actually, and he said sometimes you have to change to stay the same, and that plays into it. So like sometimes I have to do something. I have to innovate it a different way, or you know, set a control yeah, I mean, point. And just the way technology moves, that you know, your yeah, whole and, system's gonna and the way your production is right like if you're putting out that much more if you want to keep it the same you have to make some changes to keep it the same plus i think it's it's crazy for us to think that you know the the grain that you're buying is the same it's exactly it the same every time yeah non gmo non gmo yeah yeah that's all they don't use. get in any of that cuz i have no idea <laughs> right and if it's corn it's definitely not non gmo cuz that doesn't exist <laughs> So, listener, I only drink non. What about the gluten? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we distill all that and, and actually back add. <laughs> we back add gluten. That's so funny. That's I, I so, rub gluten so on the closures for people. That's that's what he does. 
Yeah, we distill the gluten. Like, right, we distill it. If, it, it. if anyone was going to do that, it would be Colton yeah. at Borstair. They would just shove gluten into the bottles all day. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Gluten smoke. Yeah. Gluten Man. smoked quinoa. 100, 100 <laughs> pubes. You're just trying to one up Rogue now instead of the beard yeast. I just, I, I just don't get, uh, I just don't get a lot of chances in my life to say the word pubes, so I just kind of blurt it out sometimes. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came uh, on this podcast, took, William? <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm thrilled. You need a whiskey, awesome. right? Like I this got you awesome. a beer that wasn't to replace yeah. the whiskey. He yeah. got me a fucking banquet beer, a Coors yeah. banquet. We're talking about bourbon, and I've got a banquet beer in my hand. That's a meal in a glass. Come on. Oh, I'm not hating on banquet beer. I love it. just doesn't seem like the right atmosphere. There's granddad right in front of you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we got whiskey everywhere. Okay, William, what's the weirdest thing you've seen since you've been working there? Like the weirdest product, the weirdest aging technique? Like what's the thing that stood out to you? Um, Give me a weird story. Something I probably shouldn't, probably shouldn't talk about, but uh, I won't name any names. It was the idea of making barrel warehousing essentially mimic beehives. So if you can imagine what a beehive looks like, it's basically a bunch yes. of hexagons, a bunch of hexagons right. stacked on top of each other, filling a perfectly, I mean, a perfectly efficient grid. Right. R- right. You following me? Yeah. So if you imagine that every one of those hexagons was now a barrel. So they wanted to make and hexagon barrels and stack them, but, you know, actually stack them exactly Side to like side, top to top, ass to ass, where there would essentially be zero oxidation. Right. That's a horrible uh, idea. Ass to ass. Luckily for them, luckily for them, the barrels worked horribly and it never went anywhere. Wait, wait. Did you actually had make wor- some of them? Had we made we made two hexagon barrels, and it was actually quite impressive. I'm I'm kind of proud of myself, honestly, for being able to do that. But right. they didn't hold for shit. How was which, the construction like? Which at the end of the day was a good thing because if it had worked, all that was going to happen was they were going to say, "All right, screw round barrels. We're making hexagon barrels now. Fill this warehouse up, and then they would have started aging, and all that would have happened is." They would have gone to the middle of that stack where a barrel had been packed in there, yeah. wall to wall, butt to butt, and like every fucking surface of it smothered. And they would have gotten, I don't know what would have happened, but there would have been no oxidation and it would have been terrible, I can only assume. I don't know, but now I want to find out. Now, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's maybe I mean, oxidation doesn't do shit and we're all just sheep here. So, so we were talking earlier, you were talking about how many staves go in a barrel and you said, what, 30? Roughly 30, Roughly yeah. Roughly 30. How many staves were you putting in these hexagons? I, if they, if you oh, can even call them staves. Oh, man. I was, it was, so this is five years ago that we did this. Um, and it would have been... Give me fuck. What the fuck is a hexagon anymore? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the same thing as hexagon has always been. <laughs> now, for listener, I just want to explain. William has literally just zoned out. He's staring at the ceiling as he's trying to like pull back the picture. <laughs> I'm trying to envision, envision what a hexagon is. It's like a stop sign, right? No, that's an octagon. Uh, it's full of bees. It's like a beehive. Yeah, it's a beehive, you described man. it. William, you so were perfect for this probably, podcast. You probably would have been looking at, let's say, six, 36 to 42 staves in these. So it would have been less oxygen. 
more, more leaks, <laughs> less oxygen, more leaks, but also more surface area. Yeah. Sounds Lots. like a small barrel. They were and but they were like, big. They were like big. The corners. volume in them was something like. Uh, Did it leak at those corners? Like all it, the, it was right? everywhere. It was you, well, so. Here's the thing, and here's the thing that no one that. I didn't even realize until we did this project, so it was educational for me, was the reason a barrel works is because when you have a round structure and you take a round steel hoop and you put it around it and you press it down, you put equal pressure around that barrel. As soon as you put angles in it, there's you can't do that anymore. Yeah. You've yeah. lost all you've lost all ability to create pressure around the entire structure. Yeah, you can create pressure in certain points, but you can't create equal pressure around the entire and so that was where it all fell apart actually is what we could build the barrel we could assemble it all together but then there was no way for us to put any kind of hoops or straps or anything that could create equal pressure around it to hold it all together so we you were just putting metal bands so we were trying to we tried everything we tried (laughs) making we tried making metal bands we tried ratchet straps that use like on just like pallets right and nothing you could there's nothing that you could create enough pressure that would be equal because as soon as you put those angles on there it disperses the pressure and it all it all just falls apart. So someone really came to you and they're like, hey, can you make our wheels square? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so basically, yeah, so basically someone was like, man, these barrels are too easy to roll. We need something, we need something more challenging. What can you come up with? Like, guys are getting like, oh, well, we, we can put some flat edges on them if that's what you want. <laughs> Your right. warehouse guys are going to love it. Go take a piss. You said yeah. go take a piss. Uh, because now is my opportunity to talk to Brian about Face Off. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. an amazing Guess what movie. what we watched today, Brian. <laughs> God, I hope it was Face Off or anything Do with Nicholas Cage. you want to talk Cage. about all the, all the uh, plot holes listen, we found? <laughs> listen, so... Whoa, whoa, slow my... down. It's Face Off. It's about Come. ripping a dude's face off. Continue. Dude, that's totally believable. That's yes. all believable. Yes. That's not the problems I have with the movie. <laughs> okay. All right. There are very few problems I have with the movie, actually. <laughs> good, good. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, but no, like, so we we were exhausted today. Like, we helped my buddy move, and I played hockey, and I'm like, we're all... So we got back after eating five guys. And, uh, <laughs> it's the pause yeah. after you said that that made it just the best. Yeah, because I'm like, I'm it's waiting for It's much like drinking granddad. Drink. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, noticing a theme with what you guys put in your body. <laughs> Dudes. <laughs> I was going to say unhealthy. Dude, don't be weird. <laughs> Anyways, so like it was hot as shit here. And we were like exhausted. I had a, I was like, Colton, you need a shower, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was pretty rank. Yeah. And I also need a shower. So, like, so we you took showered together. Individual showers. All right, listener. All right, listener. I know your mind was going. Right? In a hexagon shaped tub. Sitting around. Wa- we're like, let's watch something. And like, there's Face Off right there on Netflix. And he's like, Face Off. It's happening. <laughs> oh, my God. In I my mind, you guys are yeah. both in bathrobes, fresh out of the shower, sitting on the couch together, <laughs> watching yeah. Face Off. Like, you just cracked a bottle of Merlot. You guys are adorable. Anyways, so there's a couple. There's a I'm going to jump in and say that the shower was not individual. Because <laughs> <laughs> William was here videotaping. <laughs> His Anyways. commentary is what sold it. So, like, here's the thing. When they did the switchover, they talked about, like, getting rid of John Travolta's love handles or whatever, right? And, like, they did all this detail, right? They had to do some dong work. And I'm sorry for the dick jokes, but there had to be significant dong work done. Right? Yeah. Right? He sleeps He sleeps with the other guy's wife later. 
Yeah. She didn't notice. She didn't know. <laughs> she didn't know. I'm not well, a lady. That's a valid point. And yeah. I don't Don make <laughs> plot holes there. Yeah, there's a plot they hole. They right? that in. So then, like, at the end of the movie, when they changed John Travolta back, it's like, Colton brought up his point. He's like, did those, those weren't even the same doctors because they burned those doctors alive. Right. <laughs> so, like, where's the reference point for his dong? To do that dong work back. Okay, <laughs> assuming this is a world yeah, where they can. And what Zeno brought up was that it's it's pre, it's pre like it's you pre know, dick pic. It's pre dick pic, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, unless unless John Travolta was taking Polaroids of his dick, which I don't put past John Travolta. <laughs> okay, no, no, no. But let's be honest, it's it's a dude, and if it's basically just on his word to describe what he needs to look like, you know, we went bigger. No matter what they did, you, you even bring, if they already made it bigger, point. they're like. <laughs> 24 inches like he's gonna have to wrap it around like a belt you know he's lying yeah so anyways so like night style there there are my two plot holes mainly is the dong work that's number one okay and then there's the part when john travolta as nicholas cage i already forget their character name. it's it's too confusing they that they he he is when he escapes from the prison he just jumps off like this oil refinery <laughs> magnet boot fucking prison and he jumps off into Which like is the miles. ocean. There's no land in sight. Yeah, no right. land in sight. There's, there's not birds. There's like there's like a tugboat. There's no land. There's around. like a tugboat in the distance. <laughs> but like, then on the next scene, he's like stealing a car from a valet in the city. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. He just jumped in this water after a helicopter was shooting at it. And you you needed that. You so needed the this tugboat. scene. Of like him stealing the submarine from the Russians, like killing everyone on him board. Him surviving the jump would him. have been nice. Dude, the, fa- the face swapping, totally believable. I can yeah. get it. They, they I'm on board the, with they brought the I'm science. on board with the face swapping. Yeah. I'm not on board with him jumping off a prison and then stealing a car five minutes later. Yeah. All in all, though, it was a productive Saturday afternoon for us. It feels like it. It feels like you guys got a lot accomplished. Uh, you really prepped for this interview with uh, William. Some really good schnitzel, too, for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we did have good schnitzel. We went and had dinner. Like the three of us had dinner before this, because you know, you live in a fucking fantasy land where it's still white out. Yeah, right. That, well, oh, yeah, <laughs> William. Welcome to Brian's basement. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's looking really good. The most terrific thing <laughs> they you've said ever you seen? got. They said you guys had. They said you hadn't finished it yet. It looks great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. William is a permanent guest on the show. Thank you. You yeah. two can listener, <laughs> listener. I wish listener could actually get that joke. Um, Someday we'll send like screen caps of what people have to stare at, what you guys have to stare dude, at. With my nobody needs horrific to see that monster nobody murder basement. That. Yeah, yeah. No, You're no one does see like it. Rip- <laughs> <laughs> They're because all blind by the time they shut. Get- exactly. <laughs> yeah. Occasionally they find a nut. Oh, oh, full circle. Around. Full circle. Yeah. What the fuck were we talking you about? You should so make a living out of this. Out of that. Worst podcast ever. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Only like, like 20 minutes. It's been pretty irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you went to the bathroom and it just went to shit. <laughs> yeah. We started talking face off. I got a buddy... You know, I got a buddy who was all into film, and he moved to L.A. looking for the dream and ended up on a porn set. Yeah. Not not performing, but filming. And uh, six you months later, time? six months later, I talked to him. He's like, man, he's like, I never thought I could get sick of porn. He's like, Jesus Christ. 
bet like, I bet those shoots. Yeah, are I feel like that would yeah. ruin it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it pretty much ruined it all for me. I had a film friend too, and he had a friend who like became really he got real tight with Ron Jeremy. Oh god, said he was like the coolest guy, but like yeah, he's talking about porn shoots and everything like that. And it's like it's it's when it's like, work, it right? ruins yeah. all the lure to it. Yeah. I don't even know any of the behind the scenes like, details. It's yeah. kind of like when you go work for Big Whiskey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not really. It's we amazing. need some like buttons to make some sound effects here. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly like pornography. Yeah. I mean, everyone's naked. Yeah. Everyone showers together and watches face off. <laughs> All right. I'm going to bring it back. We're going to talk about barrels again for at least five minutes before we close this out. Now that we've had 45 minutes of face off talk. About William, barrel. Tell about me barrel. something else about uh, barrel. Tell a listener about barrel. <laughs> wait, wait. No, I, I have a legit question. Okay. What is the most common mistake people, uh, especially craft guys, what's the most common mistake they make when they say get a shipment of barrels? When they first start producing, do they let them dry out? Do they. Uh, overfill, you know, what are the things, uh, you know, what mistakes out and, should and people be aware of that you've learned? And so not, how does that, how does that negli- negatively affect it if you reswell it? It doesn't. Okay. That's the beauty of a barrel is you give it time and water and 99% of the time it's going to be fine. But the, the two big things would be it's storage conditions and then just which, and this is kind of something that we've we've learned a lot as we've dealt with craft distillers about all of this is you've got to ask the questions when someone calls you up and saying like, you know, I'm starting a new distillery. I'm ready to buy some barrels before we were like, hell yeah. All right. We'll get them out as soon as you want them. Let's go. And then eight months later, they call us saying, all right, we're filling the barrels and they're leaking everywhere. And we were, and we started kind of realizing that, oh, okay, we've got people yeah. that are like way ahead of their schedule and they're buying barrels six months before they need them. So, uh, well, okay. So here's my question: is Is there a negative to letting it? I mean, obviously, don't let it dry out as much as you can. But if you do, is there a negative to to just reswelling it until it fills? Like, no, are you, are no, you no, losing no. some? No, you're not losing. Because we do that all the time. Like, well, I mean, we're. Our our negative is spent. We spend a lot of money because we only swell them with RO water, right? So that costs a little bit of money. But other than that, money and time. He right? reswells them with Voss bottled water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's smart water exclusively. They actually they, they, like, redis- they redistill the water and then they. I thought for sure it was going to be Axe body spray, like exclusively. They just he fill is, it full. Listener, you should know, Colton is an Axe body spray guy. <laughs> yeah, that's how he does all his sensory. No, water. there's there's. The best, the best thing you can in the entire world you can do is swell a barrel, because it's a lot better, lot better to lose a little bit of water out of the barrel than it is to lose a little bit of product out of it. Uh, okay, so so I guess yeah, swelling barrels. Swelling is is I love my favorite customers in the world are the ones who are like, oh yeah, before we fill any of our barrels, we like you know we fill ten barrels a day. So every Wednesday we pull ten barrels out, we put water in them. And then the next morning we come in, we flip them over, we let the other end swell with the water in them, then we dump it all out, and then we fill it with product. That's the best customer in the world. So, but to swell it, you're saying full? No, a gallon, two gallons. That's all you need. That's all you need. We've been doing it wrong. (laughs) A lot of people I know will use, like, kiddie pools. They'll, like, use kiddie pools, right? 
Like they'll actually stick the barrel in kiddie pool, run some water, uh, and move it around. Oh, the barrel baths, I hate them. They're yeah, gross. I, the only time Those that works. The only time that like works that. is if you've had a barrel for about eighteen yeah. months <laughs> sitting out in the sun, and you're at. And you're at like the then point where you're like, please God, let me salvage yeah, this. Yeah, we we use those for barrels we've absolutely let die, but like, like that water gets so gross and nasty, it's not worth it. So no, they they oh they overflow so barrels. As soon as you get a, stick a hose so here, in, all right, so here's the thing: we kick Mother Earth with yeah. tits. Yeah. For example, <laughs> yeah. we send we send Colton orders an order of thirty barrels. Say, we wrap every single one of those barrels in plastic wrap, several layers of plastic wrap. When they get to him, at that point, the ideal situation, our perfect customer, our perfect customer is a guy that says, all right, keep them all wrapped up, stick them in a dark, cold corner where no one's going to go. Like my basement. And whenever we're ready to use them. Exactly. <laughs> perfect. perfect. Everyone goes there. <laughs> perfect. To get their jollies off. And then, and then he says, all right, I need 10 barrels tomorrow. Today, I'm going to go get those 10 barrels. I'm going to unwrap them. I'm going to put about two gallons of water in them. I'm going to swirl it all around, let it sit overnight. The next morning I come in, I'm going to flip them over, swirl them all around, let them sit until I'm ready to fill them, dump that water out, and fill them. That's the, that's the, perfect, the perfect way to handle a barrel. The thing you should not do when you get barrels from Kelvin is let them sit out in the rain. And then, or anyone. I definitely don't know this from experience, but <laughs> uh, then their uh, rings get, you know, they're fine, but they get rusty and the, the whole barrel turns just this weird like black color. Black and, and yeah. orange and weird color, yes. Yeah. Don't How, do that, guys. <laughs> then you put pumpkin do moonshine right. in it. Then you put pumpkin moonshine in it. Cool, oh, yeah. cool <laughs> with, with very little air movement is the ideal condition to store a barrel. Perfect conditions, 50% humidity. Or relative humidity, 50, 50 degrees. 60 degrees, relative humidity, 60%. Is that how you guys ship barrels? Like when you ship barrels across seas, you're sending used bourbon wrapped. back to... They're wrapped, but you're yeah. not temperature controlling those. No, there's no way. No, that would be like... like super outrageous. expensive. I mean, you're on, the, you're on the ocean, right? So it's For probably like close to 50% weeks. humidity, though. I mean, Oh, it's extremely hum- humid, but yeah. it's also... you got to consider sometimes they're going... By the equator, it could be 130, 140 degrees inside one of those containers. Yeah, that's true. Funny story, though. Side note, we shipped a raccoon to Scotland. You did what? And Like on purpose? uh, (laughs) FedEx Express. Incidentals. Incidentals. uh, And it actually was written up in the newspaper because they don't have raccoons in Scotland. And I don't know if it's still alive now, but it was alive for several years afterwards. Whoa. You it's gave amazing. Scotland their first raccoon. Yeah, and we've also shipped we've also shipped cats over there unintentionally. I have a cat you could ship over there. So are you just filling barrels full of gotta, animals? Is that is that what we're getting at? Is that what the whole blind so squirrel literally thing was? we Kelvin Kel, Kelvin Cooperage full we circle again blind squirrel nuts. <laughs> Buy fifty barrels. Get a puma. <laughs> what are you drinking, Brian? Apple brandy. Dude, cream. I told you I'm out of apple brandy. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, I'm back to the Palm Ridge. I'm almost done with it, though. Basically, I drink whatever's left in the basement. And Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound great. So, like, <laughs> what a little, bit, little asbestos in there? <laughs> <laughs> what you're, you're not pouring into your victim's eyeballs. <laughs> no comment. That's what my lawyer says. 
All right, should we do uh, final thoughts? That's kind of a thing that we do sometimes. Let's do final yeah, thoughts. Usually. We should have done final thoughts. I feel like we need to do two final thoughts because we I don't think we did final thoughts last episode. <laughs> so we have to double up on it? <laughs> so we'll go around once and then we'll go around again and Devin will cut all of them. And it. Brian will do both of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Brian, you start. Final thoughts. Barrel aging. Oh, oh now you're curtailing right. what I have to actually say. God damn <laughs> Uh, no, I think my final thought is barrels are one of the most iconic parts of spirits, especially, obviously, when it comes to brown spirits. They're kind of integral. It's the only thing that makes them that. Uh, but I think I really liked what William said on the marketing side. I think that's really important. You know, talking about the history of it, getting people's attention. Consumers are getting oversaturated, I think, to a certain degree when it comes to innovation to a certain point. But... I think anything when it comes to the barrels brings it back to kind of the core concept behind age spirits and what makes it sexy, what makes it interesting. I think consumers, that's kind of their linchpin and they're going to be, they're going to keep gravitating towards that. So I liked everything you said on that in terms of the marketing angle, because that's something I think, especially craft guys are going to have to keep in mind, you know, what are they doing with their barrel? What's different about it? How can they communicate that to a consumer base and, you know, make it interesting in a way that they're willing to shell out those dollars and retailers willing to put it on the shelf. So I think there's a lot more to the barrel aging than just getting the product out. So thank you for bringing that up. All right. I can go next, I think. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I've read somewhere like one time, it was like, it might have been the IBD stuff, like especially in American whiskey you're talking about, and this plays into what Brian was just saying, the barrel is like, 60 i've heard I've, I've seen it written like 30 to 60 percent of the spirit oh, no, from, i saw 70 yeah I've, right. I've, like heard, I've heard tours. as high as 90 170 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't mind me yeah. but don't mind it's don't mind me but 99 percent of, the, anymore, of your finished product is is basically the it's just barrel. a barrel you just eat a barrel <laughs> um but not but so like all right, so we can at least agree, agree yeah. that like it's it's half plus your product. Yeah, right? I like, mean, yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, especially if you're aging it for two, four years, mm-hmm. right? Like six months. Even. Yeah, you spend a week making it. The most expensive thing you will have in your life, it. in any aspect, any industry, whatever, is time, right? And that's what you're investing in this barrel. So I think that there should be some serious consideration as like where your barrels are coming from how you want to barrel age, what proof you want to go in at, what toasting profile you want, what char you want, what size you want. There's all these different variables and like it is super important to what your final product, what your vision for your product is. And like, you know, to just how much of an impact a barrel has and everything is ridiculous. If it's 30% or if it's 99.9%, it's enough a percentage to take a fucking serious look at it yeah yeah i guess i guess for me the thing that stood out most was what william was talking about you know finishing versus starting and you don't don't pay so much attention to you know you need good quality starting product but the finishing is where you can really stand out and and make your product shine Everyone's going to have, you know, if you, if you start out with a you know, limousine oak for seven-year-age staves and everything, it'll be great, but... It's, William will sell that to you. <laughs> William will sell that to you. He's not a salesman. But happily, happily. 
But he'll be able to, you know, you you can still use that as a finishing barrel and get those same effects while you're, you know, the majority of that sort of initial white American oak charred barrel can come from just that, that standard kind of thing and then, then move out to the finishing thing. I think for craft, the craft industry, that's kind of super important and going to be one of the biggest pieces yeah. moving forward for us. I think that was a huge takeaway, actually. Yeah. I, I hate to double up on final thoughts. Nope, no, there's yeah. no doubling final thoughts. I thought we were supposed no, to. No, Aren't no, we supposed no, to give yeah, two I final was, thoughts? No, that was, I was primed and ready over here. Yeah. No, 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 but I <laughs> think... Jesus, Jesus Christ. Yeah, William actually gave me some serious perspective. He's like, dude, it's like, shut up about your uh, uh, initial barrel agent. Like, where you're going to make an impact is the finishing. Yeah. And like... Yeah, to me, the that was The experiment that we did when we first got here. Like it was proof, right? To, right, right, right. So I like, that's that's seriously impactful, and it, it gives me you can do it a lot smarter than a lot of ways people are doing it now. Yeah, right. Don't don't spend six hundred dollars a barrel on your initial barreling. Figure out how to you know economically do that as a finishing side and get those benefits, and then you know you know you're still gonna have to spend. New barrels every time for every whiskey is so expensive, and being able to blend in those different utilize alternatives, utilize alternatives, exactly. But don't, but don't blow your load on your initial aging. Yeah, that was a great final thought, William. That's that is that's it. You're done. He's done. Cutting you off. Does it get any better than that? Don't blow your load on your initial aging. No, we're cutting out the initial aging part. Just say, don't blow your load, William. Final thoughts. Don't blow your lives right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait, 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 wait. Final, final thought. Nicolas Cage is the greatest actor of any generation. If you disagree, your opinion's wrong. Uh, Nick Cage. Yep, that's it. I'm done. Uh, It's Paul Newman, guys. Kurt Russell. It's Kurt Russell every day, guys. Nope. You guys are wrong. All right. Uh, Justin Timberlake for Brandon. We're all wrong. <laughs> Justin Timberlake? Is, Is that Gary the right Busey? answer? Gary, Gary Busey. Busey. Gary Busey. What about John, John Goodman? That one movie Matt Damon. We, now, we've gotten, to, we've gotten to the point of the podcast where we just ramble different actors' names <laughs> that pop in our head. Listen. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. All right. William actually did not get an official yeah. final William, thought. William, give us an official final thought. My official final thought would be basically reiterating what all of you fine gentlemen already said, which was um, give the barrel thought because all barrels aren't created equal. Um, But also at the same time, don't go blow a bunch of money on some kind of crazy, unique thing for your initial aging. You've got there's so there's so much room for experimentation on the finishing side um, that you can do whatever you want and spend your money and do crazy things there. But there is a whole lot to be said for the initial aging as far as just a charred oak barrel. Yeah, a charred oak barrel is a charred oak barrel, but how it's manufactured, the process it goes through, the toasting, the charring, natural wood versus gas, um, what kind of caramelization and and flavor compound activation you're going to be getting out of the barrel that you buy is actually going to have a really huge impact on what you make and not just uh, in the final product, but in the timeline of where you can get your final product. And so for craft guys, which is who I really like to harp to is um, because they're the best 
no offense, but the craft <laughs> the craft guys are the best the, the best guys to deal with. You know, they're the creators. Oh, I'm definitely the, the, the worst yeah. to deal with. The, I know the, the creators, yeah. the innovators, the the ones that they're the ones that have put literally everything on the line to do their dream, and they're the ones that uh, I think have the have the passion and the balls to do crazy shit. And they're the ones that are going to want to, they're the ones that are going to drive the industry forward. And the big guys are going to follow suit. They're going to learn from what the small guys do. Good. Yeah. So I'm a ballless dude. Yes. <laughs> With no soul because of double basically, macro. Double macro. I actually think we're all in agreement. Basically, Colton's going to Colton's going to come up with some crazy ideas and then Zeno's going to steal them <laughs> and just use them for his own betterment. Yep, this sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I pretty much pinpointed it. I've known these guys for... We like, have this on recording. This is so amazing. Yeah. Four minutes. I love the work minutes. we do, gentlemen. <laughs> it wasn't really him this entire podcast. <laughs> William, thank you so much for joining us and wasting several hours of your time yeah, to talk seriously. to morons like us, but yeah. it was delightful. It's hard to say it was wasted. I mean, <laughs> they did feed you booze, so that's something. Yeah, it, it was. I probably would have been playing God of War at home, murdering like I don't know, zombies or something. So, in all seriousness, it was a pleasure. We appreciate. No, it. I've had an awesome time. Yeah. Thank you guys Thank so you. much. Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot. I hope you guys learned something. A ton. Yeah, but so. we're idiots, so put it. Yeah, in yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're all idiots, though. Yeah. All right, cheers, all. <laughs>